welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. Hello, hello. Welcome. So today we are going to be talking about when our teens struggle. So we're going to like dive into how that might look, what it's like for us as parents, what we can do to support the resources available, kind of that whole topic, because it's not uncommon that teens struggle during those really difficult years. So Jamie Avery, what are some things that come to mind when you think about how teens struggle? Sure. So we are actually the three of us. I mean, I might say we're lucky. Our teenagers may say we're unlucky, but we have access to lots of teenagers. I mean, I see a lot of teenagers in my practice. I know each of you see teenagers from time to time in your practices. So I think it's on one hand, it's really nice to see different teens have different teen experiences. I mean, again, just like everything in life, individual experience you know, is different across individuals. I mean, our pregnancies were different. Our three-year-olds were different. So it's not shocking that our 13-year-olds are going to be different in one way or the other. So I think we're going to maybe start today by talking about the difference between like typical teens struggling, which is just going to happen. I mean, adolescence is probably not a time that any of us would want to go back to because it's a struggle. It's hard. There's all these things happening in your brain and relationships and your body. I mean, it's a lot of going on, right? But I think also there's this line between like this typical bumps and bruises that happen in the teenage years and these really difficult situations that can kind of come up for teens. And I don't know if it was the isolation due to COVID or what, but these teens right now, in my opinion, are struggling even maybe more than they have in the past. What about you guys in your in your practices or friends of your kids? I mean, are y'all seeing that, that teens are struggling more? Yeah, I mean, I think so, probably just kind of across the board. I mean, I think like I'm lucky my kiddos are pretty well <laughs> functioning. I have, you know, Grace will be 15 in July and then Max is 13. And so, yes, I have a house full of teenagers. And yeah, I mean, like there's definitely sort of the typical kinds of things that I hear, like issues with social relationships or stress about, you know, school or, you know, kind of wanting to do things maybe before you're a little bit ready. Like, hey, can I go walk, you know, way across town in order to like go to the store with my friends? You know, no. Just like typical sorts of things. But yes, like in I would say probably more so in my private practice, I do a bit of psychological assessment. So I have and I do that mostly with teens mid and up like to, to young adults and, and do see honestly, like quite a bit of anxiety and difficulties with mood, social anxiety. You mentioned the pandemic. I feel like that is such a big issue these days. And yes, like the pandemic did not do them any favors with how to try to navigate relationships in person. And yeah, so it's just been, I feel like it's been a hard past few years for the kiddos these days. Real quick, you've both brought up the pandemic. So if we were just to break that down a little bit, like in what ways might the pandemic have impacted development and kind of what we're seeing in terms of increased struggles? So I actually had a parent yesterday tell me that they have two girls and they have one girl that's in high school and one girl that is right now, I think in seventh grade, but is going through the age frame that the older girl was in the pandemic. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so the mom was saying, it's interesting to see what I think it's a seventh grader is doing, navigating relationships, figuring out like, how much do you contact parents? How much do you, like just all of the skills that she's learning that her older kid didn't have the opportunity to do in seventh grade. And so I think that there is a lot of, it feels like a gap. I mean, I know my, I mean, Wesley spent 
a lot of time in, in her room by herself without a lot of access to social interaction for a long time. And that's and not only at home, but yes, even when they went back to school, yes, at least my kids were masked. masked they up. had pex- plexiglass. They had to eat in silence. I mean, so there was this normal social interaction that was shut down. Yeah. Yes. And, and the facial cues behind uh-huh. the mask. So it's, I think, you know, there's every year counts in that development. And I think when you take a year that you're kind of sidelined or in like this social timeout, it has an impact. Yeah, definitely. And I would say like kind of from the the psychological assessment side, what I'm, I'm seeing there is, you know, kids are, they're behind. I mean, they are behind and... Are you seeing that academically? I, I'm like, seeing it kind mm-hmm. of academically, just I feel like kind of across the board. And I think there's been studies and research and I can't really quote them right now, but about students being behind. And also too, you know, what I see most definitely are for the students who have maybe learning differences and... You know, learning online did not do anybody any Mm-mm. good if you have ADHD or dyslexia or dyscalculia, you know, math, LDs, reading comprehension, reading difficulties, like any of those sorts of things did not do them any good. It was a rough, rough environment to learn in. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is I think, you know, we all have our stuff, right? We all have our things that like when I get stressed out or when there's a lot going on, I get anxious. Some people might get more depressed. Some people might have a little more attentional issues. We all have our things. Nobody's perfect. Perfect. And it kind of felt like the pandemic like cranked up the heat yeah. on those kind of like walking wounded things yeah. that maybe would have like gotten ironed out, like a little learning disability here or some ADHD there that would have probably just like learned how to get through it and kind of managed. Like it kind of felt like it it amplified. And also, too, I would say there was it seemed to me like during the pandemic, you know, again, like when I'm having teens come in or, or parents like hey, you know, can you check out my child? You know, I think such and such might be going on. You know, during the pandemic, there's a lot of time with parents and a lot of focus on their child's behaviors that maybe they didn't see for eight hours a day because the kiddo was off at school. And so like almost uh, kind of like, you know, pathologizing of some stuff that maybe was actually pretty like it's typical normal kind of teenage behaviors but it's just like now you're in the vicinity with each other for a lot longer and you're not a teacher yeah you're not used to this This exactly your career path exactly you don't have like a perspective yeah interesting just to throw in there too, I think with the pandemic, you have, especially for anxiety, I think those kids maybe got some relief during the pandemic because they yeah. were at home. The world was really small. Less was kind of expected and required. And I think then you missed, you know, a year, two years, three years of kind of exposure to that anxiety. And one of the best ways we treat anxiety is exposing ourselves to the things that make us anxious so we can kind of habituate and the anxiety goes down and they just miss that. So I think it's even harder. Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk about that there are these like normative mm-hmm. developmental struggles that happen during the teenage years. You know, one big thread is that independence and autonomy. Teens kind of start to pull away. They kind of start to separate and individuate. Like all of that happens. But when do we as parents need to be worried? So I think in my mind, when I'm thinking about, I mean, as a, as a psychologist, when I start to get worried, a lot of people come in for therapy for these kind of, I call them like walking wounded. Like we're not in crisis. We're probably going to be okay. But it's really helpful for a lot of kids to go to therapy if they're struggling, even with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression. If the kid ever comes and says, hey, it might be helpful to go talk to somebody. That's usually a really nice thing. But I would say the thing that I like for parents to be on the lookout for are changes, right? So big changes from being maybe more socially outgoing to being more isolated. Changes in grades, changes in desire to do things like if they really enjoy the soccer team and they don't want to go play soccer anymore because they just want to stay home. 
It's all in context, right? Changes in peer groups and changes in, in activities are part of adolescence. But when I start to see that isolation, that kind of shutting down, that starts to make me concerned about mood. And then certainly any big behavior problems, like if there's, you know, drinking or drug use or like hiding secrecy, like dangerous, risky behavior, that feels like an, another reason that you'd want to get help. Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely, I think that's a really big cue and clue is changes in behavior. I would say also too, like looking at like frequency of different types of behavior. So being a homebody on the weekend, you know, maybe one weekend a month, you know, like that's pretty typical, pretty normative, you know, if that's kind of how your kid likes to operate. But, you know, if they're starting to turn down like lots of social invites or they're, you know, not wanting to hang out with any of their friends, wanting to withdraw, stay in their room all the time. I mean, just again, like I feel like as parents, you can try to tune in to your intuition, like you've known your kid this whole entire time. And, you know, I think paying attention to that is important. And I would say, you know, another thing too, is if there are, you know, like maybe big events, you can kind of be proactive about it. So if there's been a big, huge, you know, transition, say they've changed schools, or you've changed homes, or you've had a loss of a, a loved one that the child was close to, there was a terrible accident, if there's a change in the family dynamic, I mean, all of those things, I think being alert to the changes in, in your, your teen's behavior behavior, how they're interacting with other people, I think is is also a, a good way to kind of look out for stuff too. I love what you said about your intuition. I mean, I think we've all had that experience when you can look at your kid, maybe when they're younger, you're like, I know you're sick. Yeah. Like we call it sick eyes. Like you've got the sick eyes. I know that you're sick. Like it's time to go back to bed. And I think we as parents, I mean, we need to trust that intuition. And with teenagers, you're going to get, leave me alone. It's not a big deal. It's not your problem. Don't even worry about it. But I would just say like, if that intuition keeps kind of tapping you on the shoulder, listen to it because you probably know. You may not be able to put your finger on just exactly what is going on, but if your kid is usually open and bubbly and they're more stormy and shut down for a couple of days, ah, no big deal. But if it's like been a couple of weeks and you're like, God, where's that kid that like kind yeah, of bounced yeah. in or like sang in the shower or like laughed when I was being silly or jokey, like that's that over weeks, over time, that's something that you want to start to really tune into. I think for me too, when I think about when we need to be worried, I always think of safety issues. Yes. So we have yeah. these big things. So like when we have self-harm, when we have suicidality, you know, every, like you mentioned, like really risky behaviors, like big substance use, risky sexual behaviors, like those are always times when we maybe want to step in, you know, I specialize in eating disorders. So when you see weight loss or someone becoming very picky with their food or purging, like behaviors like that are times when we often need to kind of elevate and get some extra support on board. How do we know when we need outside support? So I guess as a parent, right, this line, like, okay, I see my kid is like suffering in some way, that they're struggling, they don't seem like themselves. Like, when can it be like an inside job, right? Like, when do I let them work it out on their own? When can I help them as a parent? And then when do we need professional support outside? One thing I always like to do as a professional is minimize collateral damage. And so if your teen is kind of struggling for a couple of days, that's not going to really cause a major drop in grades. It's not going to cause a major drop off in social interaction. But if they're struggling for a few weeks, that could really start to affect. So even once they start to feel better, they're having to make up this lost work or make up this lost grounding relationship. So kind of that idea of like when you start to see that 
collateral damage of, oh, wow, our grades or our discipline problem is really affecting our school performance. Or, gosh, you haven't gone out in a weekend or two, and I'm, I'm worried you're going to start not getting called for and invited. But like when you're kind of aware of this seems to have like some longer lasting effects, and certainly the safety would be that that point. You don't need to wait on that. Like if that's once that happens, that's a good call. But I think kind of minimizing that collateral damage is is a really good kind of line for needing some help. Mm-hmm. And that might be help at the school. That might be professional help with a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I think like first and foremost, um, like Avery is, is implying is that you need to talk to your teenager about what's going on. Like, let's start there to see like how mm-hmm. forthcoming are they? You know, if you ask them how they're feeling, how they're doing, you know, if they're struggling with anything, how can you be of help to them? You know, and if, you know, sometimes it kind of chuckle, you know, when I have parents that bring teenagers in to see me, sometimes they don't ever have a conversation with their teenager. Hey, would you like to go to therapy? Would you like to see someone and have them just drop them off, you know, like in my office and the kid doesn't even know why they're there. Like, let's not, that is not setting up anyone for success with therapy. Me as the therapist or your child. Same thing goes like for psych assessments too. Like you need to to talk with your your kiddo first. And then I think you can gauge and, and go from there. And like Avery was saying, I mean, if it's, if, you know, they're expressing suicidality or you hear about that through maybe like one of your kid's friends or a teacher or something like that, like that's not something to wait on. You probably want to get them, not probably, you do want to get them checked out. You know, if you need to go to the ER, if you need to take them to their, you know, to the pediatrician or whatever, somebody to get another set of eyes on them, I think it's important. So let's say you, you sit down with your child and you have this conversation, like I feel concerned. Here's what I'm noticing. Or tell me about what your experience is. And they really shut down and they're like, I'm fine. Like, you're the problem. If you just leave me alone, I'd be fine. I don't need any help. What do you do then? So two things I would say. One is I would start all of those conversations with as much validation. Define for people who may not be familiar so with that So I would say, you know, I know that you probably don't want to talk about this. I know that that you probably think it's fine or what, I mean, you know, your kid, the best time I think to have these conversations sometimes is driving them somewhere. So there's time limited, but I, I know that you may not want to talk about this. Or if you're, if your kid is one of those like people pleasers, you're not in trouble. I'm not mad saying some things that kind of, kind of poof, bring it down. So it's not an interrogation. It's not a, you're in trouble. And now you're, there's going to be a consequence, but just trying to give them some things that are like kind of peacekeeping. So what I find is you're not in trouble. I'm not mad. This isn't something that you're going to have to like, that we're all going to be frustrated and upset about. I know that it's hard. I mean, I, it's hard to be in eighth grade. It's hard to be blah, 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 blah. And, but this is what I'm noticing. And I would expect that they might shut down and and that's okay. You could say, but you know, you know, you can come to me or I think a lot of kids now mental health is a little bit less stigmatized. So more and more, they'll be like, yeah, I'd love to go to therapy or they'll come to their parents and say, Hey, I think I need a therapist. So that's, that's great. Like, Wonderful. But sometimes that shutdown can be another indication of like, wow, we're being kind of defensive around this. And that might mean that there's there's something else going on. And then the second thing I would say I, I, when we're talking, when trying to convince your team, quote unquote, to go to therapy, one way that I like to talk about it is, you know, it's my job as your parents to take care of you. If you broke your arm, it would be my job to take you to the to the doctor. It would, I would be a terrible parent if I didn't take you to the doctor. If you broke your arm, if you had the flu. And this is kind of one of those things. It's part of taking care of you. I'm noticing that there are these things going on. Maybe there's not. We go get you checked out. But, you know, it's part of my job to kind of like provide you care and support. And then trying to give the teen as much option and choices as appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that can be really helpful. So you don't have a choice of whether or not you go. That's right. Like we're going to talk to someone because we need some support. And even being like, I'm out of my league. Like yes, this is above yeah. my, above my grade. grade. <laughs> and it might be easier to talk to someone else, right? Mm. So I think you can kind of like soften it with that. Yeah. But like, okay, let's look up these profiles online, especially when we're talking about teenagers who yeah. are a little bit older. And let's go talk to a few people. Let's see mm-hmm. who you think is the best fit. Mm-hmm. And so they have some degree of kind of autonomy mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like trying to involve them in the process, mm-hmm. I think from the from the beginning is is a good thing. Like you said, Lucy, I mean, and getting them to take a look and asking them questions like, would you, you know, prefer to see a man or a woman yeah. or, you know, where would you feel most comfortable? Do you mm-hmm. want somebody that's like my age or do you want somebody that's a little younger than I am? Like, what would be your preference? And, you know, also letting them know that we may not be able to meet that preference depending on availability. But, you know, hey, we're going to give it a shot. It's interesting because I feel like sometimes there's an unfolding to this, right? And I've seen this over the years with clients who come in. You have the clients who come in who are like, I don't want to be here. And it's clear. And I'm probably not the best therapist for that because I just don't understand. (laughs) Like, it's just hard for me. But sometimes they'll like soften up pretty quickly. And it's just like anxiety. And then people can engage. But sometimes they're going to be like hellbent on on not participating. Mm -hmm. And always as a therapist over the years, that's been tricky in terms of, where is it helpful to say you're going anyway and we're just going to keep showing up and kind of let the process work itself? Mm-hmm. And when do you say, like, if they're totally disengaged, like, it's not going to be very helpful. Do you all have a sense about how to navigate that? I think sometimes one way I, I like to try to help teens engage is by having parents kind of show some openness. And you kind of mentioned this too, of like, we all need this support. I might have some things that I'm, I'm, I'm certain I'm doing some things that are pissing you off and they're making it harder. And so this is really a learning that we can all do and learn how to best support you, learn how to best, you know, parent through this. I think if they are completely closed off and everything's going okay, which usually in my experience, both of those things are usually not happening. Like either they're closed off and there's some struggle or they're like a little bit more open, a little more flexible. And are, and like, really, their things are, their grades are okay. Their friends are okay. Their activities are okay. And they really don't have anything to talk about, which that's a totally different situation. That would just be, yeah, I think you're okay, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but if there's something that's not going on, a lot of times it can be helpful to get over that hump by just kind of making certain things contingent. Like you are not doing very well in school and Ordinarily, there would be a consequence for that. But I think that this actually might be a bigger issue. And so it's not a consequence that you're going to therapy. But if you're going to therapy and engaging and talking and trying to get to the bottom of this, I'm going to be, as a parent, so much more flexible on like phone use and technology use while we get through this problem. So kind of like a little bit of I actually think that this is bigger than just being lazy and not caring with your grades or with this or that or the other thing. And so almost kind of saying, if you're going to do the work here, I'm going to be more flexible. But if not, I'm going to have to kind of, you know, give you consequences like I normally would, which might be grounding you from the phone if you're failing a class or whatever. So kind of trying to go alongside them and help them to see that. So I think like normalizing it, it's weird to go in and see a stranger, you know, see a stranger and spill your guts. You know, I mean, you can just sort of normalize it and and sort of like just put it out there and name that like, yeah, it may be kind of awkward, you know, to talk to someone, you know, for the first time. But I think like talking with them, like, yeah, you know, I know like for me as a therapist, I know that you may not want to be here, but is there anything that you know, is appealing to them? Like, what could you possibly, you know, what would mm-hmm. be something that you could possibly get out of this? What do you Even, want? Yeah. What, what do you want? 
you know, and I think too, like talking with teenagers, like this is your space. Like mm-hmm. this is for you. Um, like what other kind of a relationship do you have where you can come in for about mm-hmm. an hour and it's all about you and you having time to talk about whatever it is that's going on. And you can use the space pretty much any way that you want to. I mean, I, I don't know, like yeah. that sounds appealing to me. So when we think about outside support, what forms can it take? If we just real quickly talk about, so we have like therapists or counselors. Mm-hmm. You have like talking to like school, counselors at school can yeah. sometimes be helpful. What are the other options? So even within therapy, there's you know individual therapy, which would be like a teenager just coming to a therapist one-on-one. And the younger the teen is, the more involvement probably the parent is going to have. You yeah. might be meeting before, after sessions, things like that. But the older teens, I mean, usually if they drive themselves to therapy, there's not going to be a ton of involvement maybe with the parents. There's also parent or family therapy where the family would come in all together. That can be incredibly helpful, especially if you're navigating some of the changes that Jamie was talking about, or even if you're feeling like there's a relational kind of disconnect, that can be incredibly powerful. And then of course, couples counseling. Or if you're looking for like some parent consultation, you can usually go in and talk to somebody as a parent about the kid or as a parent about your marriage, things like that. And then there's, you know, group therapy, right? So that would be a teenager going to other, a group of maybe like, I don't know, eight or 10 other teens talking with a therapist about certain things or, you know, doing certain like skill focused. I think that, that's about all I can think about in like yeah. the outpatient therapy realm. Well, I mean, and there's also two like a little bit more adjunctive things. So there's like biofeedback yeah, where your kid, totally. you know, gets, you know, like hooked up and, mm-hmm. and learn how to like relax or manage things like migraines or headaches or their anxiety or stress mm-hmm. or, or that sort of stuff and sort of like incorporating more of the physical aspects. And I know teens that really enjoy that. And then there are other adjunctive things like maybe art therapy or music therapy or different things maybe that you don't necessarily think of right off mm-hmm. the bat, but it's there, you know, animal assisted therapy. And there's just equine, a, yeah, therapy. equine therapy, which is awesome. I would just like to do that just because if there's yep. alpaca therapy out there, I'll <laughs> totally do that. But yeah, I mean, there's lots of options. And I know that that can be kind of overwhelming for parents sometimes, you know, like if you psychology today is a major website to find providers. And, you know, if you hop on there and put in your zip code, you know, you may have hundreds of people. So let me take a little bit, Mm -hmm. but there's lots of resources out there, particularly in our Dallas Fort Worth area. So real quick, just a few other people we might want to keep in mind. So dietitians, especially if there's any eating Mm -hmm. kind of concerns, Um, acupuncture is another kind of alternative one Mm -hmm. that can sometimes be useful. So how do people go about finding a therapist? So you can search online, but like, Mm -hmm. how do you know what to be looking for? So I think one place to start is some insurance covers therapy. And if you want to try to see if you have benefits that it cover, you can look at your like in-network provider list and start there. And that might be, you could kind of, what I often do when I'm doing that for, for people that call me is I'll look through and I'll kind of look at websites or a lot of times you can get lots of information there, kind of what kinds of people they work with, what kinds of clients they've seen most success with, that kind of thing. And then a lot of times the school will have some referrals or your pediatrician might have some referrals as well that of, of people they know in the community that might be helpful. And that's one of the most common phone calls I get from friends or like people I know is, okay, can you recommend a good therapist? So I think asking your friends Friends, whose kids have maybe seen someone or if you Mm -hmm. know someone in the mental health field, I think having that inside Mm -hmm. kind of connection can be really useful. Yeah. We didn't mention psychiatrists and medication. So sometimes that's a really important part of the team. How do we know when a kid needs medicine? So like if we're thinking about our clients and when we refer for medication consultation or even our own kids, when we might consider that. Sometimes medicine gets a bad rap. I think a lot of people 
see that as as somewhat of like a last resort. And I think it can be incredibly helpful. My guideline usually is, again, that kind of maintain, like trying to manage collateral damage. Most or a lot of medicine takes a while to work. And so, you know, you could be two weeks to like even six or eight weeks before you can even know if a medication is going to work. And then it could take a while to like shift and change. And you need as much runway there as you can. But it there's, I think, some benefit too to see if outpatient like talk therapy might work as well. So what I typically do is, well, I'll meet with somebody for, I don't know, like two to four sessions and see like if we're able to benefit from therapy and that seems to be working, then we might hold off on medicine. But sometimes symptoms can be so, so intense, so powerful, they can start to cause that kind of collateral damage. And they can even make it difficult to benefit from therapy. If I'm so anxious that I'm having a hard time even like forming words when I'm with a teacher you can tell me a thousand times how to like have a good conversation and advocate for myself with this teacher. But if my physical symptoms are so overwhelming that I can't do that, therapy's not going to be helpful. And so I, I like to kind of think about it as, as an augment, augmentative kind of treatment that if you need to kind of have things come down a little bit so that you can benefit from outpatient therapy, medication is really, really important. And certainly if there's any kind of crisis or safety issue, that kind of lets us know we don't have a ton of time to like mess around and we need to do kind of gold standard, which for a lot of things is talk therapy and medication. Yeah. And I would say, you know, kind of along with that, like your point about collateral damage, you know, I think severity of what's going on may be a big determiner of whether medication would be appropriate. And I think for most of us, we see like folks with anxiety, depression, like that kind of thing. But also too, you know, I have, you know, occasionally people that show up in my private practice, maybe where there's some psychosis going on, where they're seeing or hearing things that aren't there that the rest of us don't see or hear, you know, like those sorts of things, or just like really manic kinds of behaviors where maybe your child hasn't slept for three days, like, you know, those like severe, severe kind of symptoms, probably medication is going to be indicated. And if I see that in my practice, like I would be giving a referral for a psychiatrist or have someone, you know, assess you like maybe at Children's Medical Center or something like that. Yeah, and that kind of dovetails nicely to when we might need to step up to a higher level of care, right? So anytime there are those safety concerns um, for eating disorders, when someone is either so resistant, right, where they're just not able or willing to do outpatient care, we have to, or they're, they're medically compromised, we have to change the environment to get some added support to kind of keep people safe. And higher level kids, that would be like going to a treatment program someplace. And sometimes you like spend the night there. Sometimes you're just there all day. They can vary. Or when you're not functioning, right? So over the years, like teens who refuse to go to school, school refusal. So there's like a great outpatient program, you know, where you go there instead. So I would say to my teen, like, okay, you can either go to school or we can go to like a treatment program, one or the other. We're not just going to like stay at home. Right. Right. (laughs) Here are your choices. Right. So higher level of care, I mean, when we talk about outpatient therapy, typically we're talking about about an hour a week, you know, of meeting. So 45 to 50 minutes every week. And then higher levels of care, there can be outpatient, which are like all day or part of the day. And then there can be inpatient where you spend the night or or stay for a longer period of time. And I would say that the kind of indicator there is certainly if you're ever in a crisis situation, you need to go to the emergency room or call 911. And a crisis would be that you really are concerned about your teen's safety. Either they are threatening to harm themselves, they're threatening to harm somebody else, or they're they're so like you said manic that they're they haven't slept in a while. Like there's some things that kind of let you know, dysregulated, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And so you, you know, here in Dallas, that would be Children's Medical Center. If that's something that's kind of in the back of your mind as a concern, you might want to just call your pediatrician and see where that would be if you're, you know, for you locally. Or you, or you can always call 911. I think we could go on and on. But before we wrap up to, for today, I do want to spend just a few minutes talking about the parents' experience, right? And so we've talked a lot about the teen and kind of how we help our teen. But I think as a parent, having a teen, a child teen, any of them who is struggling can be really, really hard. And so what do we kind of recommend for parents in terms of what that experience may be like and how to really take care of themselves and get their own support? It's so hard as parents. I mean, I've felt this myself and I've heard this also in sessions is you feel you want to do everything right for your kid. And it's so important to you and you you think that you've done what you need to do and it can feel like a failure. It can feel, you can take it personally if your kid's struggling because it can, it can feel like, I don't think this is true, but I think it can feel like, well, if I had done X, Y, or Z, then my kid wouldn't be dealing with A, B, or C. And sometimes that's true, right? Like there's, there's certain things that we have stressors. I mean, and we don't need to like try to avoid that entirely, but also kids just struggle. I mean, kids have anxiety and depression and difficulty with social interactions, just like the rest of us. And when we start to get, for me, I'm a big blame fault person. That's a, that gets sticky for me, but that really gets us out of like problem solving mode, self-compassion mode. It's, it's not that helpful, but it's certainly understandable. And certainly you may also have a team that's telling you it's all your fault. If you just wouldn't do, I mean, you know, it may not be that far of a reach to gather that, but I think that's where that self-compassion really can be helpful and also getting your own support. So being around people that are supportive, of what's going on with your teen, of what's going of, of your choices, of how you're doing, you know, planning care and that you can talk to openly is essential. Yeah. I think yeah. having like, you know, people in your, in your circle who are trusted, like sounding boards where you can talk with them about what's going on, getting extra support. I mean, and then, you know, if you need it as well, like reaching out and, you know, reaching out to your own therapist or taking care of yourself in, in whatever way that you can, I think that's important too. Because as Avery said, I mean, it is stressful raising kids. I mean, it is. Because I think by and large, I mean, most parents want their kids to turn out well. They want them to be happy and successful and all of those great things. And it's, it's and stressful. Portal, yeah. It's stressful when you're seeing your kids go down a yeah. different path. You're like, oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, and we're not immune to it as psychologists no. either. Like, absolutely not. And I think sometimes, like, I can be harder on myself mm-hmm. as a parent because I'm a psychologist. And I can be like, oh, God, uh-huh. like, please, I don't want anybody else to see what's going on you know in my my household I'll lose my whole practice like you know you know my mind goes off into like catastrophic sort of thinking so but yeah I mean I think just finding your own support and and giving yourself some compassion as Avery is saying is is I think extremely important I think that's been one of my greatest sadnesses over the years as parents are very quick to like invest in their children and their Mm, children's mental health yeah but much more reluctant to spend the time and money like on their own on their own. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so how do we really make space? And it can be, I think it could be with friends. I think friends can support. Mm-hmm. Maybe a spouse can be supportive. I think that there's some good resources. So if your kid is diagnosed with something, I think being able to kind of read up on that and get educated. I think my, my oldest daughter has ADHD. And I mean, even being in the field, I don't specialize in ADHD, but I know about it. But as I'm learning more about it, it really helps me understand like how she's wired and how things are working. And I get... I'm able to be more patient and understanding and like kind around it all rather than getting kind of frustrated and, and not the best version of myself. And so I think some of that education and can be really, really useful. 
And it's that oxygen mask thing, right? Like when you put your oxygen mask on yourself first, like you're able to breathe more freely and offer support to everybody else. But if you're gasping for air, you can't show up as a parent in the way that you want to. And it's stressful. So I think giving that support to yourself is so is so critical. And by the way, I do think some of this can be terrifying. So if you oh have my a gosh. kid who has, you know, a self-harming or a suicidal oh. or a major eating disorder, who's had a major trauma, like some of that is oh, actually it's terrifying. so scary. Because yes. it's beyond the realm of kind of what's normal and it can be really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And so I think making a lot of space to know like this is hard and scary and it is, mm-hmm. right? And so how do we make space for all of those feelings? Because it's not not easy. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com. Inspiration from the Couch.